Greetings. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of the Legacy Drawing Board, a podcast journey and experience that wants you to build a stronger, more meaningful legacy by embracing good design principles. I'm your host, Ron Fong. This podcast is based on three pillars. The first is its vision, to have you see yourself and your world through the lens of legacy design and building. The second, the mission, to introduce you into the world design and have you emerge as a storyteller. And finally, the all-important purpose. There is a perpetual need for leadership that causes us to edify each other by building enduring relationships. For this episode, I interview Isaiah Cedarong. Isaiah is all of 27. He has a day job in finance, and he is a co-founder for a coffee roasting company. I've always found entrepreneurs to be insightful, interesting, and truly understand legacy design. For this interview, I had some technical difficulties and had to switch mics about halfway through, so I hope that you'll be patient with it. And here's the interview. Today, the guest for the Entrepreneurial Insight Series is Isaiah Sidawang. And Isaiah, welcome to the Legacy Drawing Board podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Fong. Um, I'm a fan of what you're doing here, and I'm glad that people get to hear, uh, you know, all the people that you're presenting to the public. Well, thank you. Thank you for the very kind words. And this is a bit of a family affair because I interviewed your mom, Sabrina Burhani, in season two, episode three, and got her insights in the entrepreneurial spirit. And I suspect that uh, you you got a great deal of it from her and your aunt, who uh opened up the very successful Tiferet coffee chain in Sacramento. Absolutely. Especially in my younger years. I think they opened it when I was 18. So I was really impressionable. It was incredible to see them work on something like that. And then also my father, he had never had like a real job. He's always worked for himself. So everybody who raised me ultimately worked for themselves their entire life. So the fact that I have a normal job, I would say is actually out of the ordinary. <laughs> you worked, Did you, uh, my memory serves me correctly. Nowadays, that's 50-50, whether it serves me correctly. Did you work at the kiosk location in City Hall? Correct. The kiosk, actually, I worked at all three. And then I ended up just kind of managing and running the kiosk in City Hall. And at what age did you become the manager of the kiosk? I was 21 years old. Oh, my goodness. 21. And you are 27 right now. As you mentioned, your day job, uh, advisory associate in investment and finance. Is that correct, Isaiah? Correct. Yeah. So uh, studied economics in college. And then I went into banking right after college. It was actually an unusual experience because my first job, I had an interview. And then between my interview and uh, scheduling the interview, COVID happened. So I thought, oh, there's no way I'm getting this job. And then I ended up working completely remote for the first two years. So I went there and then now I'm back in the office into uh, yeah, investment management finance in Los Angeles. That's your day job, but you still are an entrepreneur. You are a coffee roaster. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So I uh, founded uh, the coffee roasting company, the based coffee company. And I have some partners. I don't do the roasting myself. I handle all the books and I do relationships and the finance side, since that's where my 
uh, very limited skills are. <laughs> but yeah, that's correct. Pretty much any time I'm not at work, I'm doing something like that. How much time does that take up of yours? It's funny. I It's hard to quantify, but it's basically a 24-7 thing. Um, even when I'm not physically doing something administrative or on a call or like emails, the my mind's always churning. Like, how can this connect to coffee? How can this become a sale? Who can I learn from? Is this person an entrepreneur? Can they, you know, dump some knowledge on me? So that's the 24 seven gig. Are you, how often are you in uh, putting out fire mode? Uh, every day, <laughs> <laughs> every day. There's always something, especially because my other co-founders are also first time co-founders. We're just putting one foot in front of the other and it's, there's always a fire. I want to be careful about categorizing people or putting them in the boxes. You're 27. Do you identify with Gen Y or Gen Z? Or do you identify with either of them? I think I'm technically a millennial. Okay. I'm the last year of a, a millennial, but I don't know the difference between Gen Y and Gen Z, to be honest with you. Okay. Well, I don't want to anoint you the spokesperson for a generation. And I, we talked about this before. I don't know that many 27-year-olds that do the level of work that you do on your day job in terms of the you know, amount of the other management. Basically, you're managing uh, portfolios, huge portfolios. And then to pursue this line of uh, entrepreneurship, do you consider yourself an outlier among your peers? It's a great question. Um, and I thought about it. I don't think I'm an outlier in my current group because it's so, it revolves, you know, like as I got into entrepreneurship, I started being around more entrepreneurs and in finance, I was around other really skilled, you know, kind, uh, financial people. So in the sense that my upbringing, I would say I'm an outlier, especially my circumstances, you know, single teenage black mother i in that sense i'm an outlier but my my circle and my network i i wouldn't say i'm an outlier i'd say i'm pretty pretty standard okay well i could imagine that yes you you know given your pursuit your interest i mean we tend to gravitate towards people of similar interests but just statistically you know i just look at you and i would you know say for almost anyone regardless of age the amount of activity that you have, I think you're definitely uh, an outlier and an outlier in a very good, positive way. What, what speaks to your entrepreneurial spirit? Oh man, that's such a good question. So friction is something that I've been really interested in recently. There is, there's a sense of doing things that don't feel like work. And there's a sense of leaving no stone unturned. I think the thing that really lights my entrepreneurial spirit is not wishing that I would have otherwise. <laughs> well, that may be like an anxious emotion that's pushing me forward, but I really do think that it's, it's worth a shot. And all the things that entrepreneurship has paid me has been so amazing. Like I've met more people and every single little win just lights a little bit of fire. 
So it seems like a drag sometimes, and then sometimes it's incredible. So I'm just kind of taking it day by day. That's really. When I talk about the entrepreneurial spirit, I, I think we have it all in us. We have our dreams, we have our aspirations. And many times people will say, I want to do this, but, and then the but gets in the way. How did you eliminate the buts to pursue the things that you're doing? Or did you have buts? Absolutely, I had buts. <laughs> Absolutely. So the opportunity arose, and there were two options for me. The option A was try it, and option B was wish that I had tried it. So it was almost uh, like a no-brainer to me. So and then, so the the answer was yes, and then I'll figure everything else out after. As long as you can solve problems, and that skill is really transferable. Solving problems A through Z, just saying, yeah, I can do it. And then figuring everything else out as they come. I think that fearlessness that I learned from my mom is really what pushed all the butts away. She did the same thing. She opened a coffee shop with no retail or uh, service experience. And, you know, when I saw that, I was like, okay, I, I can do it. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Your mom often talked about failing up that you talked about her when she began. She didn't quite have an extensive background, but she and your aunt wanted to do it, had a passion for it. And again, they have great, great communication skills. And I, the number of relationships they have built, you know, people just cannot count. With, with that, the, you know, the idea that, you know, moving forward or failing up. And many times we are, frozen or even paralyzed with fear of failing. Uh, and I know in my line of work in, in terms of you know medicine, because you had to go through a series of exams, you couldn't obviously couldn't fail that. And failure in terms of a bad outcome looked bad. So you know talk about risk aversion. But for people in different lanes, uh, different sectors, disciplines, uh, failure or when I, I say I, I shouldn't say failure, failing, which is different than failure. Failing is just part of the learning curve. Uh, it was it Edison said, once I if I failed at something that I realized uh, that's just not the way to go, but I learned something else from it. And what has been your what has been your comfort level in terms of the learning curve when there is a failing? I'm pretty comfortable failing. It doesn't bother me much. Uh, you know, obviously finance background. I'm really keen on the idea of compounding, whether that be like capital compounding or knowledge, um, and then network. There's always something you can pull out of a failure. You know, for example, let's just say the coffee business burns um, to the ground. There's so many things that you can take out of learning a business, running a business, learning the book, building relationships going out of your comfort zone, for example, sales. I am really introverted. I'm an only child. Uh, so like sales has been like a completely new thing for me, but that's a skill that I did not have before that I'm, you know, I'm learning. So all these things that I can take with me moving forward, they're going to compound over the course of time if I keep working towards them. So the idea of failure is, and also in the United States, how 
how bad could it get? In, for example, my family is from Ethiopia. If you fail in Ethiopia and you lose your job, you probably starve to death, right? In the United States, if you fail, you could probably just go move back with your parents or I fail back on my degree at this point. I'm probably employable, hopefully, you know? So there's things, things are good. Regardless of how they go, there are still opportunities everywhere. You talked about the value of compounding. And the first thing that jumped in my mind was you know, compounding interest. That's a very powerful force. But to compound means that you have to have a, a vision towards an eye towards the future uh, to realize it's not a short game. You're, you're in this for the long game. At 27, what's your vision for your 30s, your 40s, or even your 50s if you thought that far ahead? Man, I wish I had a good answer for you, but I don't <laughs> think that far ahead. I do invest in my retirement accounts, I will say. So the idea for me moving forward in like the long run is I want to experience this journey and like this abyss of the future, knowing that I have things with me. For example, uh, like the bird doesn't sit on the tree because it relies on the tree, but it relies on its wings. That's kind of how I approach things. I don't have like a very structured, uh, like a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, 20-year plan. I don't think that's my personality type. I wasn't really raised around people in that direction. So I'm kind of just doing things as my personality type fits because it doesn't feel like work a lot of the times. It feels like play. And I think I don't have to be motivated to do those things. So hopefully, I don't know, this formula may crash and burn, who knows, but in the long run, hopefully I would have picked up enough relationships, skills, my network is strong. Hopefully I have some like financial success along the way, even though that's just a piece of the pie. Um, I don't really have a long run plan. I'm just doing my thing. Your mom talked about the importance of her legacy was to build something and to build relationships and to help elevate people that she came in contact with. What's your legacy outlook? I think same. I think the most fulfilling thing is relationships and bringing other people up. Uh, as we, you know, it's, it's not a zero sum game. The economy is so big. There's so many people, there's so many products and goods and services around there. If you produce happiness out of people, whatever that is, it really, it's gratifying to me selfishly to help people. You know, it's like, okay, I see somebody needs a job. Let me refer him to somebody I know. Um, but I, one thing that my mom does that I don't do is I don't reach out to help people because I think that people can only help themselves and I'll be a resource whenever they're ready. Uh, but I think helping people is very natural. There's something that's really natural about bringing things up because that's how I got here. People helped me every single time I asked for help or somebody's time, they gave it to me. And I hope that they enjoyed it because it's paid dividends in my life. Have people come up to you and ask you to be their mentor? No. <laughs> if someone were to do that, what would be your response? I think it depends on what I see in the person. 
if it's a shallow ask, I will probably do something like put the ball back in their court, see how serious they are about it. But I don't know if I have too much to offer because <laughs> I mean, I, I, a lot of my views and a lot of my things are still moving targets. I'm still forming my own opinions and I still take a lot away from people older than me. Yeah, I, I would accept it, but I don't see that happening. Well, I, I think you will be a fantastic mentor and it's your experiences grow. And I wish you all the best with the coffee roasting business. People will come to you because success is how we define it. And obviously most people define success in terms of monetary, but I think also when they see that you're enjoying what you're doing, as you said, you talked about friction and you want activities that don't seem like work, even though they are very productive. Uh, that's a very valuable uh that's a that's a great asset and i think people will see that in you and they will gravitate towards it and uh dr fong can i sorry to cut you off can i expand on that sure absolutely i remember there was one experience that changed my life i guess <laughs> my, i was working at the coffee shop and i was being lazy and my mom called me out you're lazy you know you're just like blah blah blah, blah. i don't know <laughs> you're not going to make it doing something like this and I was like, is she right? A am I lazy? And I kind of took it with a grain of salt, but I thought about it a lot. I don't know if I've ever had this conversation with her. But as I grew and I went older and I had more experiences, I think what was happening was I was doing something that wasn't meant for my personality type. So it took a lot of motivation for me to complete things. But as I became more self-sustaining and more autonomous, I was able to make decisions that allowed me to do things that I didn't need to be motivated for. So I think it grew out of laziness. It was like necessity for me to just find things that I like to do. Otherwise, I would just be unhappy. You talked about decision making, and that's a very valuable skill. Uh, we used to joke in, in med school, you know, MD stood for make a decision. The patient comes to you, and you could give them all the studies and all the data, which is fine. But ultimately, the patient comes to you because they want you to do something for them. They want you to make a decision. How have your how have your decision making skills? How have they evolved from the time you were twenty one to now? More conviction. This is probably the most conviction I've ever had in my life. Um, I guess naturally because I've seen more things. I've seen how things go, and. My decision-making is mostly based upon the big picture, right? So like things can get really complicated and really detailed, but ultimately like what's the big picture? How is this going to affect the bottom line? So the decision is, for example, we had a, um, a crunch. So we, for the coffee business, we needed some type of bean that we didn't have and you know, this and that's basically putting out a fire. I made the wrong call by buying beans from this part of the world and sit this part of the world instead of uh, the other part of the world. So what that ended up doing was giving us an excess of inventory and like a crunch in liquidity until we got those goods sold. And I look back because, you know, we've, we fielded that. I look back and think with all of the decisions that I had that I could have made, I would have made the same decision, even though it was wrong, 
knowing all the information I had at that time. But now that I know the information moving forward, I can make decisions based on that experience. Right. So I'm, I'm at peace with that incorrect decision because I remember the information we had at that time. We just lacked experience. Well, experience is a wonderful teacher. Absolutely. 27, going to be a, you're a leader already, but your leadership opportunities will increase. Uh, in the next decade or two, you'll be decision makers for not only your company, but your community, perhaps the state, or even nationally. As you embark on that journey, do you have anything to say to your your peers in your group about assuming this responsibility? Um, well, that's a huge compliment and I appreciate that. I don't wanna, okay, so I think one thing that I could say to my peers that has helped me a lot and I don't wanna you know, virtue signal to people saying that I'm better than them or anything, but one thing that has really helped me a lot is just listening to people you know i see people listening from a third party i'm flying on the wall and i can see the anxiety of them wanting to respond and the second half of the message gets cut out of their brain because they're trying to respond to something i think there's been no better return than me listening to what people have to say i learn a lot about them it fosters deeper relationships and you can kind of see where people are coming from. Regardless of the action, the intentions are normally embedded in their speech. And then also paying attention to people's kind of, um, what do you call it? Micromannerisms. You know, like if their tone is up and down, if they're speaking really quickly, that just in all likelihood means that they've been wanting to say this, but nobody's listening. You know, so I think listening to people and connecting with people have been probably the greatest thing that has helped me in my life. I think that's connected me even professionally because I've formed these relationships. You had a previous career as a musician. You, you played the trombone. And you, as per your mom, you, you toured uh, quite a deal, didn't you? Yep, I was... <laughs> It's hard to say the word competitive because it's music, but I grew up a jazz trombonist and I played in festivals around the world, uh, Monterey Jazz Festival. I met some of like the world leaders uh, in music. I played in Spain. Uh, I played in Monterey, uh, Sacramento, Folsom, you know, all around. How did that contribute, if any, to what you're doing right now? Were any lessons that you could draw upon from playing or being an artist in terms of your current pursuits? Absolutely. Music has been, I recently picked it back up. It's been about 10 years, but there's a lot of lessons that I learned from music. For example, I thought I was really good when I was young. You know, I, I had like, I held my head high because I thought I was so good. I didn't practice for an audition. I ended up being seated in like the lowest band possible going into high school. I was so sour about that. I was like, man, I'm the best person here. I don't wanna really be in this band, whatever. I'll just take this year off, I guess. And um, 
the teacher pulled me aside. Excellent leaders, leadership skills by him, by the way. He pulled me aside and said, hey, like, you know, your attitude's really affecting the band. Like, you have a chance to be a leader here, like, blah, blah, blah. I was like, wow, I think he's right. So I kind of picked that up and started to try to, you know, emit more of like this positive, like, let's be together and uh, things like that. So it was humbling. And it was also, uh, it was a good lesson that I needed to learn early. And then another thing that music does, it just shows so much more of life than career and finances and things like that. It elicits so much emotion. It really touches like that sense, like the sense of hearing. And it's so unusual and it's gotta be natural because there's music from all around the world for how long have humans been around? There's something about music that's just so emotional to me that I think that it'll be a big part of my life for the rest of my life. Look, jazz improvisation is a big part of it. And improvisation from my understanding is the ability to listen to the other uh, members of the, of the band or the group, the trio, whatnot. Did you pick up or I'm sorry, did that translate over, as you said, the importance of listening? Did that help uh, be a reference point for you? Absolutely. And to take it back even further, this is uh, getting a little bit personal, but I remember, I didn't think about this now that I'm speaking and that I'm articulating it. It was just my mom and I growing up in like horrible neighborhoods growing up. And I remember as a kid, always being so nervous. Like if somebody breaks in, like, that's it. Like, what are we going to do? Like, we're done. So I always had like a really sharp listening skill for that. Like, oh, what's that sound? Like, do we have to do something right now? You know, like, is, am I scared? Yeah, I was scared. But I think that's kind of where it was founded now that I'm thinking about it. Um, fear, kind of funny. But improvisation is listening and communicating, not just listening, because you listen and then you respond, you know, like a call and response type of thing. So I think improvisation is really, it's the truth. That's where the creativity comes from. Once you get past like the technical barriers of the instrument and, you know, you're proficient enough, then you can start to be creative and uh, cut your own lane and things around that nature. Communication, picking up on what's going on. So much of communication is nonverbal. And I think with technology nowadays, we rely on everything being sort of spelled out for us. Obviously, the attention span has gotten shorter. So much of uh, business is conducted through Zoom, which is, again, this is me. I have a hard time functioning in that environment because I, first of all, it's two dimensional. So I can't see the, you know, visually, I'm losing a bit of it. Uh, input and i don't i can't it's hard to pick up you know from the waist up body language you are been very keen and sensitive to that understanding all these things and you talked about if someone are come you come to you for an ask to pick up on the tone the inflection and you also mentioned that when someone speaks quickly you know that it's been bottled up for some time that they're you know just can't wait to get it out there do you find yourself ahead of your your peers on that curve of being pick up nonverbal communication? A little bit. That I can say that I think 
it's uncommon what I pay attention to, but I also think it's important, which is why I say it <laughs> um, in that sense. Yeah, yeah, I could say that. The understanding also is I'm pretty sensitive to somebody's emotions that I'm talking to. And when I was younger, I let it bleed into me. If I was talking to somebody and they were really nervous, I would get nervous. Like, okay, what are we nervous about? You know, I was really sensitive and submissive to the information. And as I'm becoming more confident and more, uh, have more conviction with things, I can see, for example, they're nervous. So instead of, you know, like submitting to their nervousness, I will do something along the lines of, let me calm them down because I can notice this. I don't think they're noticing that I'm trying to calm them down because they're so wrapped up in their head right now. So things like that. I think that's a, that's a strong, that's a skill. That's something you have to learn. And I'm trying to sharpen my, my skill and like reading people's emotions. Emotions are a huge part of everything. Isaiah, you open your email and you get an invitation to deliver a commencement speech to a lo local college for the graduating class of 2024. And of course you accept. So what will you say to the graduating class of 2024? For the graduating class of 2024, they have got, got to carve their own path. They have got to carve them. They have to be their own person. They have to escape from this groupthink idea. They have to form their own opinion. Uh, and I would probably, actually, I would for sure reference this. When I was younger in college, I was absolutely obsessed with biographies and autobiographies. I just read people from all walks of life at like the peak of their profession. Nelson Mandela, Elon Musk, Barack Obama, Bob Marley, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon. Like I was obsessed with biographies and I didn't understand why. As I said, there was no friction. I was just burning through these books because I was so interested. And one thing that I can take away from all of them, the details are pretty much gone at this point. It's been so long. But one thing that I noticed is they are all trailblazers because they just did what their personality, what what was ever frictionless for their personality. They didn't try to carve, they tried to carve their own path, but they didn't try to be anyone else or do anything else or do things for social approval or things like that. They had so much conviction in their own thoughts that they are just doing their own thing. And that's really what changes the world is people just imposing their personality. <laughs> do you think that's challenging when you talk about, you know, not, I won't say ignoring what people are thinking, but not being governed by that. And in a day of social media where your value to a certain extent is going to be uh, determined by the number of likes that you get. Give, you know, for people that have the class of 2024, they grew up with that in, in that environment. Is it more challenging now for people to carve it than the people that you listed before, you know, the uh, the growth of social media? I would say no. Okay. I would say no. I think there's some recency bias in the terms of, I bet you when they were carving their path, the same thing was said at that time about the past. 
the time is always going to be now and there will always be something holding you back so they either have to give themselves they either have to find a way or like find an excuse that's like the two things because there's always excuses but then there's always a way i don't think there's ever a justification for holding yourself back the time is now well isaiah this has been a great conversation and i learned so much from you uh, often said wise beyond your years and you are definitely wise beyond your years now that i had your mom you the next person i have to interview is your aunt uh back at us uh, brahani get the entire family and if you're up to it love to have you back and maybe have you and your mom on at the same time <laughs> hopefully that won't cause too much stress but the the entrepreneurial spirit spirit your outlook your willingness to try new things and to understand and, and, and to take on the responsibility that you are to raise the bar or you know whatever it is you know depending on your field of finance entrepreneurship relationships and so forth uh again just a utterly fa fascinating I, i'm jealous isaiah <laughs> i'm jealous uh accomplished musician and boy you know the, the world is your oyster but well deserved as i know how hard you worked so again, Isaiah, thank you for being a guest. And I hope that people listening uh, heed your words of wisdom. Thank you for having me, Dr. Fong. It's, it's been such an amazing conversation. You know, I wish more people with your life experience and professional experience would do what you do. You have so much to offer. And I'm happy that you're leveraging technology to spread your word. And this will, this will, be helpful for anybody needing help not from me but from you you're you're the one you're the catalyst here i'm i'm just a, a mere guest no no you're you're much too kind but it's the stories and that's why i do try to tell people i said everyone's got a story please tell your story because you are the person who's qualified to tell a story in your voice and it needs to be heard in your voice and you got a great story and i do look forward to the future chapters so Isaiah, I wish you all the best. Thank you, Dr. Fong. Isaiah provided wonderful insight in terms of entrepreneurship as a lens for legacy design. He talked about the willingness to take risks or take chances, to explore, to find out what you can really do. And I loved his very positive outlook that the best time to do anything is right now. There are always going to be risk and always potential barriers. But if we focus so much on that, we'll quench our entrepreneurial spirit that resides in all of us. I encourage you to pursue something, something different, something new, something that you thought you couldn't do or something that other people were telling you that you couldn't do. That's going to be a wonderful cornerstone for your legacy, that you are willing to explore, you're willing to stretch, you're willing to extend yourself, push yourself. I hope that you take away encouragement and inspiration from Isaiah's interview. If you're interested in exploring how to build your legacy through design, I invite you to visit my website and sign up for a complimentary session on how we can work together. My next episode, I'll have another interview. And this will be with my son, Jonathan, who wrote the music, the introductory music for this podcast. 
and he'll talk about how he approaches scoring a film and the elements of design. Until then, please give your legacy the time and attention it deserves, because when you do, we all benefit. (laughs) 